Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. We are in the middle of a series called Deep Truths. This is not your traditional Christmas series, but it is uh, focused on what makes Christmas significant. Uh, What makes Christmas significant is not necessarily even uh, the great traditions that we love. It's not all the decorations that I love. We've got a little, uh, we bought a new little minion uh, dressed like Santa Claus in front of our house. So I'm all down with the decorations. Uh, We love it when we drive it in the driveway. It's just kind of a little bit, okay, it makes me smile, you know, when I do that. But it's not even all the cool things that we get to celebrate being with family. Uh, it, It really is the significance of what has happened where the creator of the universe has taken on flesh and stepped into our world, and he stepped into our world for a purpose. And so today, we're going to really uh, drive home that purpose, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5. The deep truth that we're looking at today is the fact that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. We've been taking somewhat of a survey uh, of some things that uh, Christianity has been built on for a century since its inception, and so we've earmarked uh, seven uh, core doctrines, seven core things that we want to build our church around that we want to build faith around. And this is not, doesn't originate from, from, with us or from us. These are things that people that have gone well before us have locked arms around uh, despite uh, generational differences, uh, differences in ethnicity, uh, all those things. These are the things that bring us together. And so to ground this today, we got a lot of scripture to cover. Uh, I hope you got a pen uh, or ready or your thumbs ready uh, to type because uh, just like the other message in the series, we got a lot of things to throw at you, but let's just ground it in two verses today. Uh, If you have a journey group or you want to go to one, they're going to kind of bridge this out a little bit more, but I'm going to focus on the first two verses of Romans chapter five. Let me read it to you. It goes like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. All right, so this is the core of the message uh, today. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down and we're going to see if you've ever heard someone talk about being saved, if you're new to Christianity or uh, religion, you heard somebody loosely use the word saved. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, If you want to know what it means to be justified, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about grace a little bit. But in order to get there, we've got to follow this train of thought that this guy, Paul, um, is writing about here. Now, Paul has, uh, we know him because he's written about two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, so if you open up a, a Bible, if you're new to Scripture, you open up a Bible uh, and you go to like Matthew, the book of Matthew. Uh, it's, it begins the series that says, okay, after this point, this is, what, this is who Jesus is. Uh, the, everybody before that time has been waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. Christmas celebrates the time when we remember that that's when that happened. But if you follow along after the Messiah, comes, Jesus comes, then what you have is you have a a church that has now put faith in the fact that this Messiah has come, and they're trying to put the wheels on this thing. What does this new reality look like based on the fact that God has stepped into history, that he's actually in flesh, come down here, breathe this air, walk this dirt, got his hands dirty, as I like to say, with everything that's going on in your life and my life. Um, What 
does God have to say about that and what do we do with that? And so Paul was uh, somebody that had kind of reached a, a point of belief in this Jesus and then he begins to propagate churches. He begins to plant churches. Uh, and in doing so, he would plant a church, he would leave and those type of things. And then he would frequently write letters to address specific issues, um, problems, or just to set forth core thoughts that people need to know and hold on to so that they can build healthy churches and build healthy lives around this person of Jesus. And so when you get to the book of Romans, you get one of these letters. Um, and there's something specific that I want you to keep in mind as we get into the description of this or the explanation of this. He's writing this for some specific purposes. This is not not just Paul waxing eloquent on theology. He is trying to actually address some issues. And there's some specific issues going on in the church in Rome that he um, is troubled by. And one of the tr things that he's most troubled by is there's a group of Jews um, who have historically, uh, from the Israelite community, that have come up and they thought, well, okay, we're the ones that have a relationship with God. And they're part of this new church. There's some of them that said, okay, yeah, we believe Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And then there's a group of people within that church that are kind of what we would call classify, he would classify as Gentiles. And that's basically anybody that's not a Jew. You can kind of put them in a kind of a whole group. And these people are at odds within the church. There's friction within the church because the Jews think that the Gentiles are not really part of the church for certain reasons. Gentiles likewise to the Jews. And so Paul's trying to settle some arguments as he sends a letter. He puts it in the hands of a woman named Phoebe. She takes it to Rome and she begins to stand in front of this group of people in this church and begins to read this letter from Paul. And as she addresses this, I mean, getting kind of getting in her mind for a second in her spot, she stands up in front of a congregation of people, and it looked nothing like this: no lights, no stage. It was a, it was meeting in house churches. I mean, there wasn't really an official sermon, if you want to call it like that. There was, there was mainly they would come together and they would all share their gifts. But she got up to read this letter, and when she read this letter, she was looking out on dissension. She was looking out on discord. And there were differences of opinions based on the people that were in front of her in the room that had everything to say about what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean for us to have one unifying idea when it comes to a relationship with God? Well, and that's what she begins to read out of the hand of Paul. And as they begin to digest this, as the letter progresses, you get to the part that we call Romans chapter five. There were not chapters and verses. Uh, it was just a letter, but we've kind of put those things in there to help us navigate it and find our place. When we get to this part of the letter, what basically happened is Paul's reaching a conclusion. And that's where you get the, the phrase, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. So let's just talk about that because everything else in this section and everything else after this in the letter builds off this one little phrase. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Now, this word therefore, in order to get to this, we have to kind of, one, define terms first, and then we're gonna have to take a little bit of an end around to get back up here because you know, therefore means that everything that happened before it matters in order to be able to set forth this thought, right? So let's do this first. Let's define real simple definition. What does justified mean? Okay, justified is basically just a legal declaration 
absolving us of guilt and declaring us righteous before God, okay? Um, there's, now, we can talk about this uh, at nauseum. We could go into the, all the details, and we'll hit a few of those. But in, in its essence, basically, when you hear the word justified, what we want you to think of is it's a legal declaration absolving us of our guilt and declaring us righteous before God, okay? Now, here's the problem. Now, what does this address? You say, like, why does that matter? Well, the first thing is that we're all in a common condition, Okay. Uh, here's the thing. We all seek to establish our own righteousness. Now, here's what I mean by that. When you hear the word righteous, um, it is akin to the word justice, okay? Or, uh, it just means what is right. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like, what are the parameters? What makes us okay? And you don't have to be a particularly religious person to attempt to answer this question, uh, but everybody attempts to answer this question on their own level. Um, a lot of times we do it like this. We do it through uh, comparisons. Uh, we, we try to establish our own righteousness based on uh, other people, perhaps in our lives or people in history. Uh, maybe it's the people that you're not. We define ourselves oftentimes by people that we're not. Uh, we will take a group of people and say, well, at least we're not as bad as them. Or maybe there's a particular person in your life or somebody you've come into contact with. You'd say, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as them. Um, and so what you're really trying to do when you do that is you're trying to measure yourself to find out if you're okay. And, you know, it's a human nature for us to find somebody that is worse than us in order to qualify ourselves, to make ourselves feel right. A lot of us do it in other ways. We do it through success. Um, we try to make ourselves right by accomplishing things, you know, being successful, moving up a corporate ladder, as it were. Or, I mean, if you're into sports, you know, winning a championship. Uh, now you can be YouTube famous and you can make yourself right that way. Uh, you know, all these different things. We're all trying to find our place in the world as humans to make ourselves right. And you can fill in the blank with yourself of how you've attempted to do that. There's a thousand different ways, perhaps a million different ways that we do that. And this is the human condition because we all know intently, don't we, as individuals, and we know it as nations and families, that there has to be something that makes us okay, that makes us right. But there's also a second common condition, second part. Not only do we seek to establish our own righteousness, we also all fail to submit to the righteousness of God. Um, when I say that, there, what we're really uh, talking about here is what we talked about a few weeks ago, is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we all, by birth, by nature, and by decision, by action, we all turn away from God's righteousness and seek to establish our own. And so this means that um, it doesn't matter if you grew up in church or out of church. It doesn't matter, mean that you give money to the church or you don't, or you're a nice person or you're not. Um, all of us are in a common condition. We all seek to establish a level of righteousness on our own, and we all fail to submit to God's righteousness. And Paul, in this letter, when we get to Romans chapter 5, this is a lot of what he's been addressing a matter of fact, if you were to skip forward in Romans chapter 10, what you see is he's going to land a spot 
where even the religious people, all right, he's talking to the Jewish members of the group. He says to that group specifically later in the same letter, he says, since they, the they are the Jews, the people that have been following the law of God, which you would kind of run synonymous with the idea of justice, with righteousness. Let's, let's see what God has said about it. Let's adhere to that, live underneath this covenant. But he says this particular group of people, even with that motivation, they did not know the righteousness of God and they sought to establish their own and they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, this would have been for a Jewish person um, uh, in a congregation of people. This would have been highly confrontational. Um, We don't like to be confronted uh, in in church or really anywhere else. I don't know, some people do. They say, I don't feel like I've been in church unless the preacher stepped on my toes. And then there's everybody else. Everybody else is like, stop getting in my business, you know? Well, right here, Paul is getting in the face of the Jews inside the church at Rome. And he's reminding them that even the fact that they have been underneath the law does not mean that they have not attempted to use that very thing to establish their own righteousness and fail to submit to the righteousness of God. They did not live up to the law nor did they seek to establish it another way. They even took something that was really good, the law, and they tried to make that the way that they would establish their own righteousness. And now they're actually leveraging that very thing against all the Gentiles in the church. And so you could have cut the tension with a knife when Phoebe's reading this letter in the early church. The church of Rome is fractured. They've got different perspectives And now Paul is trying to address this and bring them back together. Paul knew this all too personally. This wasn't just something he was accusing them of. Later, in another letter he wrote to a church at Philippi, he took ownership of this very thing himself. So he knew that of which he spoke of. This is what he said in Philippians chapter three. This is his answer to this personal problem. First, a corporate issue, now a personal one. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, seek to establish his own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, if you were to go up, and we don't have time to do this, but you say, well, why is Paul talk? What's he talking about here? Well, he has just given a, basically a, a litany, uh, uh, basically a resume of everything that he had trusted in up to this point. Uh, and he had trusted in a lot of good things. Uh, his zeal, uh, he had trusted in his pedigree or his ancestry. He had, he, he had trusted in his training and how much he knew about God and knew about the Old Testament or the Torah. Uh, he, he had kind of hung his hat on a lot of different things. But when he met Jesus, it was the answer to his personal problem that he had been attempting his whole life to establish his own level of righteousness. Took a really good thing and it became a very bad thing in his life because it had actually kept him from God. But now Christ shows up in his life. When Christ shows up in his life, he experiences true righteousness and a transition, a transaction takes place. And from that, what begins to happen is his whole life is changed. 
And it was completely different than what he had attempted. It's what, it, it was different than what all humans attempted. You see, because not only was it a problem for Israel, and not only was it a problem for Paul, it's a problem for everyone, which means it was a problem for everybody else in the room, all the Gentiles as well. This is all a problem. If you go back to the beginning of Romans chapter one, this is what he led with, okay? Can you imagine leading with this last statement? Keep this in mind when you get to the last statement. This is what Paul says in an intro about all this stuff. He says, this is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation. That's where we get the word saved from to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So see who he's talking about here? Now watch what he says in verse 21 in the same, uh, in, in, of Romans chapter three. But now apart from the law, hey, go back to that last scripture real quick. Did I cut something off? Yeah, I was supposed to go to one more verse. Anyway, go ahead, go to the next one. I know where I'm going now. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The part I skipped talked about the wrath of God being poured out on all the wickedness and all the, um, all the sin of all of us people. Like, and, and this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, all you Jews and all you Gentiles, guess what? We're all underneath the wrath of God together. Why? Because inherently we have a problem. We've got a sin problem. That's why, you know, when you make promises to not do something, you do it. And that's why sometimes when you've made promises to yourself or someone other to start doing something and you don't, you know, that whole thing that's going on, this is what's a common problem for all of us. But now what does Paul say? He says, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to that which the law and the prophets testify. So what's he doing? He's basically saying to the Jews in the room, listen, all that stuff you've been doing, um, it's not bad, it's not wrong. You have just handled it incorrectly. The law and the prophets, everything that you've given your life to have been leading up to the true righteousness that God wanted to make, be, he wanted to make known. What Christmas is, what Christmas, when we celebrate Christmas, is, it is the reminder of God making his righteousness known in a person, in flesh, in history. And so when we talk about faith from a Christian perspective, we're not talking about philosophy. We're not just talking about mysticism alone. We're not talking about um, existentialism and all those type of things. What are we talking about? We're talking about the God that we've talked about, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're talking about Christ taking on flesh and coming uh, among us and doing something physically in history to make righteousness known. Why? Because we're all trying to find a way to make ourselves righteous. Why? Because we're all failing to submit to God's righteousness as the only righteousness. And so God has to come in his righteousness to make himself known. So I know we're hanging out on this a while. We're almost done with this section, but watch how he takes this thought in Romans chapter three into verse 22. He says, this righteousness, he explains it for us, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to who? All who believe. Now, who is he talking to? Jews and Gentiles. So he looked at the Jews in the room and he's saying, listen, this is for you. He looks at the Gentiles. He says, this is for you. This is the one common denominator. This is through faith in one person, Jesus Christ. There's no difference between a Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was news to the Jews. 
You mean you've sinned? Yes, you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. This was news to the Gentiles. Listen, you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. Why? Because we have all failed to submit to the righteousness of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrificing atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Um, Paul likes to repeat himself, doesn't he? I mean, and rightfully so. If you've ever been to church and you're like, man, they say the same thing all the time. Yeah, yeah, this is the core of the message. This is what it's about. It all comes back down to this every time. Now, there's different applications and we're gonna get to three quick applications at the end of this, but here's the thing. This is the message. This is what it's about. All the other stuff we've been talking about, all the stuff we've been wrestling with, it all reaches a point in history in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of history. And that's why Jesus is the focal point of all of our lives. Jews, Gentiles, you like country music, you don't like country music. You watch sports, you don't. You, you, you've been to college, you haven't. You're black, you're white. You know, you're male, you're female. This is the core of the message. And so just to draw that all to kind of a, a, a circle around it, here's, here's couple things. One, this is a real clear statement. One, all, meaning both Jew and Gentile, have sinned and all, both Jew and Gentile, are justified freely by his grace. That covers everybody. Um, and this is where, I mean, this would have brought them together, which is in large part what Paul was trying to do in every church because there was division in every church. There were all kinds of ethnic divisions and cultural divisions. And you see him doing this over and over and over again, trying to bring everybody together and say, this is the thing that defines us, not your cultural background, not the way you see things, not your perspective, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is what defines us. You remember that passage in Galatians chapter three, verse 28? I mean, this is kind of what, this gets to the heart of it. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's he saying? Essentially, he's bringing together, he's saying, listen, we are all one family. We are all one family underneath Jesus Christ. And so because of Jesus entering in, he has freely given everybody the opportunity to enter into the family through faith in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because all of us lack righteousness. Go to that next slide. And all can be made righteous. Everybody lacks righteousness, but everybody can be made righteous righteous. Paul told the Corinthian church this. And uh, one of my favorite passages or one of my favorite scriptures that you better commit to memory. This is going to help you if you commit this to memory. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what Paul knew. Paul knew that every city he went in, there were idols. Um, he, he would go into synagogues and he would go into the marketplace and everywhere, whether they were particularly religious or they were particularly not, everybody had an idol. Everybody was worshiping something. Everybody was giving themselves to something. 
And he says, because of that, we all have to be made righteous. We can't just get righteous on our own. There's no way for us to build a ladder to God. This is God coming down to us. And so this means that if we want to access that, he says, the way that you do that is through belief. And the way you do that is through faith. And so if salvation is by the grace of God, which is what we've been talking about, what we have just defined is the grace of God. The grace of God is you didn't, but God did. You couldn't, but God could. This is what grace is. It is God absolving you of guilt, but it's more than just forgiveness and saying, I'm sorry, and God forgiving you one more time. It is God declaring something about you. How do you access that? You access that through faith. Now, let's talk about what faith is. Uh, but first, let's talk about what faith is not. First, faith is not a leap in the dark. It's not just said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to jump out here and I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try Jesus for a while. I mean, I've heard people say that through the years. Well, I'm going to give, I'm going to give the church about a month. Uh, I'm going to give Jesus about a month. I'm going to give it a try. Uh, this is not about just taking a leap into the dark and saying, see how the thing's going to turn out. A lot of people treat faith like that. That when, when we hear faith in scripture, it's not a leap in the dark. It's not just say, hey, let God catch you. You know, jump off this cliff, let God catch you. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's the opposite of rational thinking. Faith is not the opposite of rational thinking. Some people think, well, faith um, is just not rational. Uh, it, it's something that you, you, you just kind of, I guess you just emotionally do. I guess you just kind of get emotional in a service or in a moment you get a low spot. And so, yeah, obviously you need a crutch, but it's not very rational to have faith in a God that you can't see. And so a lot of us treat faith that way, but faith is not a leap in the dark and it is not the opposite of rational thinking. And we're going to talk about why. The third thing that faith is not, because I see this a lot, is it's not religious optimism. It's not saying, oh, well, you know, everything's okay. You know, well, hey, you know, put a smile on the face. Everything's okay. Everything is not okay. You know, everything's not okay in my life. Everything's not okay in your life. Uh, everything's not okay in our church. Everything's not okay in the world. It is not just putting on rose-colored glasses and just saying, oh man, everything's awesome. Just be the power of positive thinking. That is not faith. And within the church, you can do this outside of church, but I'm talking to people that are sitting in a church service today. So I'm gonna say, uh, we, we kind of baptize, if you will, optimism. We say, well, there's just religious optimism, okay? And, and that's not faith. Faith is very real. Faith deals with reality. And it looks at reality through a lens. And we're going to talk about why in a second. But it's also this, or it's also not this. It's not intellectual assent. It's not believing certain things about God. Uh, now, it can't happen without believing certain things about God, but it is not the end of things. Because I might ask you, I might ask you, I'll say, hey, do you believe in God? And you would start and say, well, yeah, I believe in God. And I'd say, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe he just died on the cross? And do you believe he rose again? Yes, I believe that. But that is not the end of the discussion. That's simply the beginning of the discussion. Because just knowing facts about God, and I see this in church a lot, we, we equate like faith with being able to defend positions. We, we equate the, the magnitude of our faith by saying, oh, I can intellectually spar with you on things. I, I know some facts about God. I, I know some things about God. I know some things about the Bible. Uh, I've got opinions about things. Listen, faith is not intellectual assent. 
Now, it can't happen without facts, but it is not the end of the discussion. It is the beginning of a discussion. So what is faith? Well, here's what I would say faith is, biblically. Faith is allegiance to Christ as our Savior, who is our substitute, which we've talked about in the previous weeks, and our Lord, which means that Jesus is the King. Um, I prefer to say Jesus the Christ these days because I, I, I say this all the time. People think that Christ is Jesus' last name. It's not. It's a title. It's a de- designation. He is the Messiah. He's the King. And when he comes to inaugurate the kingdom of God, which is what happened in Christmas, is he was coming onto the scene to say the king has arrived. And so just as a king would demand allegiance to come underneath the rule and the reign of said king, for us as people that would trust in Jesus, what are we saying? We give our allegiance to Christ, not just as our substitute and our sacrifice, but also as our king. Um, you know, the, the whole story of Christmas, without going into a whole Christmas sermon, because there'll be time for that in the, on Christmas Eve and all that, but if you, if you, if you know the story of that, there, there's this story that is um, in the context of the gospel writers that they understood, that this was a battle for kingdoms. This was not a battle for like just, oh, let's like kind of have like a little faith, a, a denominational thing or a little a sect over here or, or something like that. This was a battle of kingdoms. That's the way Herod saw it. That's the way everybody else saw it. That's the way that all the disciples that were following Jesus saw it. They said, this is the king. We're following him. We believe that his rule and his reign have arrived. And so faith is simply coming underneath the rule and the reign of Jesus to say, yes, I believe that he sacrificed and he was my substitute. But I also go one step further, not just to receive forgiveness, but I also give my allegiance to him as my Lord, as my king. And my question to you is, has faith been one of those knots? Or is faith to you something that you've given your allegiance to in Jesus Christ? And that's why when we get to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when he says, therefore, we are justified through faith, the sentence, the statement right before that in Romans chapter 4, verse 25 was this. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was our substitute. And he was raised to life for our justification. He became king. And so if we have a robust understanding of what faith actually is, it begins to have some really practical effects in our lives. And that's where the rest of this whole thing goes. I'm gonna give you three quick ones real quick. Um, That three quick ones real quick, that's a little redundant, but you know what I mean, all right? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a ramification, okay? These are the things that we get. There's a lot of talk, and rightfully so, in our world today about trying to find peace. Um, Even in this season, we talk about, you know, um, the Prince of Peace coming. We talk about a season of peace, uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We we, we get all that from scripture, right? But let's just be honest. I think more so than any other time that I've been alive, I can't speak for anybody else. This is my perspective. I, I feel like there is more of an undercurrent of anxiety, more of an undercurrent of angst, more of an undercurrent of cynicism, more of an undercurrent of dissension. All this is happening amongst us. And I think if you just surveyed anybody and said, would you like the world to be more peaceful? I think everybody would be like, yes, please. Yeah, please. Can we just 
do something. Can we just all, you know, kind of simmer down a little bit? But here's what, we're, here's what I want to point out. What we're all feeling and wanting from here is what I would call subjective peace. Uh, it, it's a sense of peace. And if you look at your life, there are days where you feel more peaceful than others. And usually it's uh, something going on internally. I mean, I know there's a lot of physiological things that go on into that, but there's also a lot of external things, things that uh, happen in your family, things that happen on your job, things that you saw in the news. And a lot of us, by the way, are just ingesting so much stuff that is toxic to us just because it's like, oh, how are you ever going to have peace if you're ingesting that like 24-7, you know? But we do that. And because we are raising a generation like that, we, we, the generation we're raising right now, are, they're just inundating, inundating, inundating with toxicity and uh, strife and tension consistently, consistently. And, I mean, it's no wonder that we're all longing for peace. But that's subjective peace, peace that's here today and gone tomorrow. You, you feel peaceful and then you don't. But what the gospel offers us addresses subjective peace, but it, it actually goes one level deeper to objective peace, which goes to the core of why we don't feel at peace oftentimes. Uh, it, it begins to, it, the gospel answers the question, how do you begin to even build a foundation of subjective peace that you have to build? It's not, it doesn't just happen. What do you build that on? We well, build it on objective peace. What do I mean by that? Well, because we are actually at odds with God, because of we've established our own standard of righteousness, we don't submit to God's righteousness, we begin to build this life when we're actually at war with God. This is about kingdoms. These are two warring factions. You are at war with God. Now, you might not feel that. You might not even really, you say, Dan, I don't really feel anything with God. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of neutral. And you may feel neutral, but you're not neutral. You can't be neutral in this relationship with God. This relationship is about kingdoms. Which kingdom are you in? Are you in your kingdom or are you in God's kingdom? And if you're at war with God, then the chances of you building a life that uh, has subjective peace, peace, uh, the, what I would call the peace of God, okay? The peace of God. You can't really ever experience the peace of God fully until you have peace with God. You see the difference? Peace of God is something that's subjective. Peace with God is something about which kingdom you're aligned with. This is what Paul said about that in Colossians chapter one. He says, once talking to a group of people that have moved kingdoms, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now you've been reconciled by Christ's physical body. That's Christmas, right? That's the cross. That's Easter, the resurrection. Through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Free from accusation. Do you know what it's like to feel accused of something? Has anybody ever been accused you of something? It is not fun to be accused of something, is it? For people to accuse you um, uh, of improper motivations, uh, people to accuse you uh, of something that you've done wrong. Here's what Satan loves to do to people all the time. He loves to tempt you to sin. And when you take the hook and you do it, guess what he moves? He moves into his favorite spot. His favorite spot is to continually accuse you of who you are and what you've done. 
Some of you today, that's where you're living life. You're living life under accusation because of your behavior, because of your minds and those things that you are at war with God. But when you come into contact through faith, what do you do? You are removed from accusation. You, you now have, uh, you now have a, a, a clean slate before God himself. And if God says there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, then that means whoever brings condemnation upon you, it can't hold. It doesn't stick. It doesn't matter as much. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but what it means is it doesn't lock in. It doesn't take hold of you. Why? Because the one who made you, the one who died for you, the king of all creation has something to say about you. And when he has said this about you, he has brought you in and he says, now you are free from accusation. And as blemished as you are, as dirty as you are, as bad as you've messed up, you're without blemish. There's nothing wrong with you in God's eyes. He created you, restored, you're reconciled, you're redeemed. And he wants to bring you back into peace with God. And so this peace with God, this objective peace leads to the peace of God, which is subjective peace. It locks in a foundation for you to begin to build a life of peace on. And that life of peace is going to be attacked. Storms are going to come, but you've built a foundation on a rock, which is the peace with God. My, my, my guess is many of us in the room today, we have been mistakenly pursuing the peace of God where where God wants you to start is peace with God. He wants you to change the preposition. He wants you to go from of to with, peace with God. Now, this is the first ramification of being justified is you have peace with God. You're justified. You're set right. No blemish, no accusation. But that's not the only thing. The other thing he says in this, back up into Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. This is what God has also done. God has given you access. He's given you the ability to approach God. You now can get in the door with God. Um, you don't have to live life alone. You don't have to live life separated from the one you were created to emulate and model and reflect his glory. Now you can get into God. Whereas before your sin kept you out of the door, now you can get in the middle. You can come home again with God. You can come into the family of God. And you can do that with confidence. Uh, if you've ever experienced uh, in your life a time when you've failed somebody, you know, um, when, you, when you've let somebody down. And there's different levels of that. Um, there's different seasons of that. But if you've ever hurt somebody, if you've ever wronged someone, one of the hardest things to do is to be in the presence of that person, isn't it? it the guilt, the shame, the sadness, the remorse, the regret, all those things. It, it, that's why a lot of us run from those situations. That's why a lot of us don't restore relationships is because the last thing we need to do when we've hurt someone is to be in their presence. And not only that, when, when it comes to God, when it comes to someone that we've hurt, there is a real break when trust has been broken, when, um, when you've lied to someone, you've taken something, you didn't come through, whatever it was, the trust has been broken. And so there is a severing where it's just really hard to be in the same room with a person. And the same is true with God. 
But the problem is, is that God is perfect in his righteousness and we are perfect in our sinfulness apart from Christ. And so to be inside the same room together is an impossibility because the righteousness of God would actually turn into the wrath of God, which that's why in the Old Testament, a, a priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they would tie a rope to his foot in case there was sin he hadn't confessed because if he got into the righteous presence of God, then the righteousness of God would be too powerful for the sinfulness of man. And they would have to drag his dead body out of the Holy of Holies. But here's the thing. Through Jesus Christ, Christ in his physical body, now with all the regret and remorse and guilt you have and all the righteousness and perfection that he has because Jesus came in a physical body that started in a manger, what do we get now? We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain and that is his body. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament where the priest would go in to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now that place where only one could go one time a year. Now Jesus has entered into that spot permanently so that that wall, that separating, that heavy curtain that was between you and God, God says now you can come into the same room and you don't have to feel guilt, you don't have to feel regret, you don't have to feel remorse, you don't have to go back and relive it and you don't have to kind of play that story, that narrative over and over and over in your head. Why? Because by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you're accessible. You're cleaned up. And now you can go in confidently. That's why on a Sunday when we come in here, just to be honest with you, we, we should be a lot more joyful than we are. <laughs> we should be celebrating a lot more than we celebrate. It, 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 I think if God looked at us and he's like, why are, not, why are y'all not happier than what you are? You know? Some of y'all, I don't know what you've done this week, but here's what I know is that the blood of Christ is enough for that. I don't know what you've done this last year. You're at the end of the year and you're like, man, I, I wish I could take this year. I wish I could wipe this. I know. But here's the thing. With Jesus, that's not who you have to be. Why? Because he can clean you up. He can make you confident to come in this place and you can be thankful and you can raise your hands. You can laugh. You can smile. You can shed a tear too. But at the end of the day, the thing is, is that his body has provided a way for you to enter into the presence of God. That's why he took the form of a baby. That's why he grew up. That's why he lived a sinless life. That's why he died a sinner's death. And that's why he rose victorious on the third day to become the king. And at the end of the day, what does that provide for us? What's the last thing? He says that, let's go, uh, well, let me give you, I'll read this to you because it's too good. And since we have a great priest in the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith that it brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So if you haven't been faithful, guess what? He has, and these are the results. It leads us to be able to boast in the hope of the glory of God. There is hope because of Jesus. You have hope today. Hope is an anchor for your soul. 
Here's the thing, when every else, every other thing is chaotic in your world, hope is the thing that grounds you, you lock in on it. This is the rock of Jesus Christ. And during this Christmas season, maybe, maybe it's a time to recalibrate for some of us. Maybe, maybe it's time for us to recapture the core of what this whole thing is about. As individuals, as persons, as a church, as a community, as people together, of us saying, okay, what does it actually mean that God has stepped into the story? And if you want to enter in today through faith, if you want to receive the declaration that you're absolved of guilt, if you want to receive the idea that you have now been designated as righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ has done, what does it mean? It just simply means that you give your allegiance to Jesus. I believe he was my substitute and I believe that he is my king, that he is my Lord. And I would love it if today, if you would choose to do that. If you have not done that at the end of the service, the band's gonna come out, we're gonna sing and then we're gonna finish with some baptisms. I know it's a little bit late, but you don't have anywhere to go. It's raining outside. But today, I want you to take time I don't care if you're a dad, if you're a mom, if you're a teenager, if you're a college student. I don't care what your problems are, if you could just have a laser focus for a second. And let's not think about ourselves. Let's think about what Jesus has done, who he is, and what he wants to do in our lives. And so if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we, we come before you right now recognizing that it is your sinlessness and your substitution and your resurrection and your ascension that you have now been crowned as king for your glory that demands our allegiance. And so God, I pray for my friends in the room today that have been struggling with where they find themselves in that story. I don't know if there's hurt in the way, if it's past failures in the way, um, something that was done to them. Maybe it's the church, maybe it's us, maybe it's me, I, I don't know. Whatever that it is, I pray, Lord, that they would just see you right now. And as they look into the face of Jesus, I pray, God, that what they would see is they would see you coming in physical form for them. As you meditate on that for just a second, I'm gonna ask if you would, if you would, if you need to give your allegiance to Jesus, if you would use this time just to speak to him and say, God, I give you my allegiance. It could be as simple as that. You don't have to pray some kind of theological, deep theological prayer. I took care of most of that today. Just say to God, I give you my allegiance. If you made that statement to God, I would love to know and be able to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand real quick? Just so, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to bring you forward. If you, if you pray that prayer, thank you. I see you over there. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. Well, I want to pray for you, those of you that lifted your hand. Father, we thank you right now for how your salvation came into this very place and met somebody right where they are. That's for your glory, God, and for their good. 
Our prayer, God, is that today, that new life that has happened, all things have passed away, all things have become new, Lord, that they would begin to walk in the freedom of what it means to be able to walk into your presence and to walk out of this room as new men and women in Jesus Christ. Help us as a church to celebrate that and to walk with them and uh, to, to build lives around your word and around your spirit together. If you're in this room today and that's your story, you, you've been reminded today that that's the essence of it and you want to pray and you want to thank God for that, I want you to use this time to do that right now. Father, you've heard these statements. Lord, we, our minds are futile and weak. Our bodies are frail and broken. Our wills are incomplete. And we lack tenacity and resolve, and grit. Fortunately, that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is not about what we can do. It's about what you have done. And so today we, we relish in that. We embrace that fully, God. We, we confess that we are not good on our own, that it took you being righteous for us. Remind us of that, God. Glue us together around the only true hope that is Christmas, that is Christ himself. Help us, God, as we carry that message and display it, demonstrate it in every facet of our lives, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, could we just sing?